If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the hydration watermelon smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks. Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Welcome to No Encore. This is Alan Bennett. Not Dave Hanratty. Hi, oh, yeah. um, Hello. How's, how's everyone? Hi. Good. Good. Yeah, hi. Dave, is, Dave is sick and couldn't be here, so I got uh, roped in at the last minute. So um, Literally the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Um, we're, we're, it's uh, the revisit episode, and we're going to 1997 today. Uh, so helping me, you heard there, Kieran McGuinness from Dalarentos. How you doing? Uh, we have Stephen White from The Last Mixtape. Uh, Una Mullally, uh, author and writer with The Irish Times. And Carol Kyo, uh, legend of Irish music. <laughs> <laughs> we discussed this beforehand. We did, and I went she with really it anyway. Wants to be called. <laughs> I did. I demanded it. Wouldn't uh, come into the room. From Plague Monkeys, Automata, and the Tycho Brahe. So everybody, very welcome. Thank um, you. So in 1997, Kieran, what was what was happening that year? Okay, so um, loads of stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong became free from Britain, right? Wow, that was Diana, Princess of Wales, died. Wales. Um, <laughs> Mother Teresa died. B.I.G. was killed. Wow. O.J. Simpson was found guilty. Serious, you know. Dolly yeah. the Sheep. It's like pivotal stuff, wow. you know. Internet Explorer 4 was released. People <laughs> oh. were queuing outside as if it was a concert. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> um, and then the uh, film that won... This is a random one. The film that won Oscar the best picture was The English Patient. Oh, oh that was yeah. huge. It's a pretty it best remembered for the Seinfeld episode, isn't it? The one where she goes, "I don't like the English patient," and everyone else is just like, "Can't stand her." Or something like that. <laughs> everyone starts shunning her like across. The room. And the Father Ted episode isn't with the English it? when Graham really? or when uh, what's his face? Oh my God! Jack. No, no. Dude. Graham Norton basically oh. is trapped in the cave and he's like, have you seen The English Patient? That's my favourite. Oh, right. 
Yeah. I thought it was going to be the one where Jack was a, was a drinks the toilet duck and he dies and then he comes back at the end. What? How does that relate to the English patient? <laughs> I thought it was like a piss day. I haven't seen the English patient, so I thought it was... Spoiler, that's not what happened. Okay. No. <laughs> it, yeah, There's no matter. toilet in the English The albums patient. of the year were... Um, uh, well, I don't know if they were albums of the year, but the big albums of the year were um, OK Computer, Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Uh, Be Here Now by Oasis. Pavement, Terrible Brighton, The Corners. <laughs> Biggest selling album, Spice Girls, Spice, tons more, uh, Bjork, Homogenic, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's loads. It was a really, really, I suppose, a lot of hu- the huge albums of the 90s, like were around this 90s, 97 period. I don't think that's necessarily um, reflected in our list or anything like that, but yeah. So um, in 1997, I went to my first gig. Right. Radiohead. <laughs> uh, I was that's too young. pretty cool first gig. But, uh, where did, was the Radiohead yeah, gig? It was... It was the one that Tom York wrote the song about because he was so freaked out. Oh, that's right, yeah. It was in the RDS. Yeah. And uh, I went with my bigger cousin and he got a bit tired of me being on his shoulders, but it was my first gig. Mm. Very nice. Pretty cool. It was the last time my mother went to the cinema. Did <laughs> <laughs> the English Yes. Yeah. No, she saw Titanic. <laughs> she was like, never going again. <laughs> she saw Titanic. It's the last time she's been in the cinema. Oh, Titanic was out that, that year. Yeah. Yeah. as well. Gosh, yeah. was How was that not the biggest... Them or like the Oscar winner that year. That's incredible, yeah. Well, Oscar winner. Oh, yeah, yeah. I suppose like the next year, wouldn't it? Came yeah, yeah, true fact, like yeah. That. It won Best Picture, didn't it? I'm pretty sure. Did it? Yeah. I think so. Okay, well, let's mm. find out in our next <laughs> show. <laughs> Check, Check in for 1998. <laughs> <laughs> you were recording... An album with the Plague Monkeys. Kind was of. actually I was I was trying to I was thinking about this earlier because I was going to say that we were in the process of recording an album that came out in April twenty eight or twenty, uh, nineteen ninety eight, which was Surface Tension, the the debut of the Plague Monkeys. But actually, we we signed a record deal, which fell through in nineteen ninety seven. That was a big event of that year for us. So we had spent a year negotiating a record deal with a company called GHQ, who were a sub label of Arista, which were a big label. Mm. And we had big management, uh, well, not big management, but big legal representation to negotiate this big four-album deal. And we signed it. And then they hired a new MD for Arista who axed all the sub-labels and we were dropped along with a few other bands. So that was uh, at the start of my illustrious start of my career. Does that, <laughs> that hold up the whole album? Well, it, I mean, what it did was it meant we had to do it independently, essentially. You mm. know, we got a small amount of development money from... Um, an a and guy called Tom Zuto, who would have been big name at the time. You know, he was he he had he had been uh, the scout for Geffen, and he had signed Guns and Roses and a few other people like mm-hmm. that. And for some reason, he was interested in Ireland for at that time. So he gave my our band and a few other bands that I know of some development money, but nothing came of it. Might have been a tax write off, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and then we just had to do it ourselves. So our management released the album on their label, um, and in 1998. So you can have that on your next show. <laughs> <laughs> well, a same sooner thing happened. We got signed, massive deal, blah, mm. blah. Well, it wasn't even a massive deal. It was just that it was like a big deal. A deal with, was a big yeah, deal at the time. Virgin, yeah. a V2, and then they folded. Mm. And we, yeah, so it knocked us. It knocked us for six. But, yeah. I mean, you got the album out. We got the album out as well, but it was... It's not quite the same. No, <laughs> it doesn't it have the same momentum, you know. Um, I, I think because I was in my early 20s I, and just out of college... I don't think it devastated me maybe as it should as much as it should have done, yeah. you know. Now when I look back, I wish it, it devastated had, me more. No, well, I know. I can see what an impact it had, you know. Yeah. Um, how Like, it's quite hard if you don't get go roaring out of the traps. It, it's a lot harder to um, kind of b- build momentum, you know. 
So you find other motivation for keeping going, <laughs> essentially. And then the whole arse fell out of the industry. And that was that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she says cheerily. Spoilers for next couple of episodes. <laughs> there. So what was everyone else up to in 97? Do you remember? Or? I don't remember. I was 14. So I was probably listening to lots of um, Howl and Suicide and bands like that. I have a really terrible memory. Like, I I think I remember probably about, like, five incidents from, like, school or something. So I couldn't right. tell you what I was All doing. of school? Yeah. Just like, I year. just, I can't. <laughs> so, I mean, when I think of 97, all I can think of is, oh, that's three years after Kurt Cobain died. <laughs> that's basically yeah. my reference point. Yeah, okay. I do remember hearing Wannabe by Spice Girls right. in a petrol station in Meath. Um and thinking it was like the worst song ever, <laughs> and then coming around to it completely. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That was that's my '97 yeah. memory. I'm pretty sure I thought it was terrible later. as well at the time. Um, <clears throat> with the Spice Girls. Yeah, with with Wannabe in particular. I think Wannabe was actually, you know, a really innovative track. Um, and I think at the time, I couldn't engage with it because my musical sensibilities were so outside of radio pop and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff but when you hear it now I mean it's such a strange song and um, it's quite pretty cool yeah for a pop song yeah it is quite totally aggressive. and, and the video, girls, you know video is awesome and stuff um, it's funny yeah. as well it's kind of um, it's like it you know it it tells you all about their it's like they detail all their personalities it's, it's mm-hmm. like the, it's like the perfect track for introducing like, hey, hey we're the monkeys kind yeah. Of. yeah yeah it's a pilot you know. yeah. we're more like the intro <laughs> to one of those australian tween kid shows yeah, 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 like, yeah. hi i'm brian and oh. i like that <laughs> <laughs> i'm sandy and i don't know <laughs> <laughs> all memorable tracks though aren't they and when you look back at the spice cards i mean like a lot of those tracks are pretty kind of ingrained in to memory typical one is a good song yeah yeah they do actually i like the video i remember i was working i started working in a bar i think that christmas and um there was a girl that worked there and uh, she was kind of, used to, I, I started smoking because you, to get a break you had to smoke, you know, <laughs> otherwise you didn't get a break. That was just what happened. So you just end up taking all the things off the tables. So I used to go out and I remember I went out and there was there was two of the kind of older girls like who were like 19 and uh, they, were, they were smoking and one of them was like, um, yeah, I mean, she says, I want a man, not a boy who thinks he can. And they both were like, that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, well, the Spice Girls are, they must be so philosophical. Yeah. Deep. God. Yes, he can what? Um, yeah, when I was like 1997, I think I was about 12 at the time. So I think I was probably finding my taste in music. But I think more importantly, like I think when you're that young, you become a bit more tribal. Like you were saying, like you, you, you have a, you know, this is my scene, you know, mm. grunge or alternative rock or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I think around then, I might be wrong about this, but wasn't Smashing Pumpkins... Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness around this point in time. I might be wrong by a yeah, year I think or so. It might have been a year before, yeah. Right, That's probably yeah. for me in my teenage years, that was the huge album like that got me, man. Mm-hmm. You know, nineteen seventy nine, even though I wasn't even born then. <laughs> it got you know, it kinda got me. And uh yeah, I think like a lot of time listening to the radio and kind of finding a musical taste I was independent of my parents who are so influential musically that none of them played any instruments, but I had my father this mas- massive record collection that he would like play. We didn't have uh, enough money for a TV or anything like that. We were quite poor growing up. So like finding kind of something independent and very independent of what they listened to was kind of important to me, which is difficult because my mom was a punk. 
So like anything that was kind of like alternative, all she was already yeah, <laughs> yeah like the pixies and stuff she would listen to. So uh, it was yeah. hard to find that kind of. So the Spice Girls. That made Spice Girls. <laughs> I went straight for it. I said, "Look, <laughs> man, this is my life, and this is what I'm going to listen to." I identify with sporty Spice. Yeah. I sound like that, you know. So yeah. I'm Billy Corgan. Yeah. Spice Girls <laughs> and Billy, Billy Corgan. Corgan together at last. Yeah. I mean, that was probably their last hurrah, wasn't it? The Smashing Pumpkins. I like the. I think Billy oh, no, Corgan. That, they had the, you one left, right? Darcy, yeah. Darcy left, Darcy left. Yeah. Mm. and then um, uh, then they did. I think Machina. No, they did the one with Perfect on it, which was um, oh. yeah. That that was a pretty good album. It had Apples and Oranges, which is one of my favorite Smash Pumpkins. Sorry, my big I'm a big Smash Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, then they did Machina, The Hands of God. I think in like ninety mm. nine, maybe, and that was a big hot mess. And I think that was the end of them. But yeah, they kind of disappeared for a while and then we reappeared. Well, they had Zwan. They had Machina and then oh, one and they had Machina <laughs> 2. Then they had Zwan. Zwan, yeah. And, and he then... was being creepy and happy. Yeah, it was so yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, stop Billy Corgan. <laughs> I saw Smash Pumpkins play a couple of years ago, actually, mm. now that you're mentioning them. And it was the first time I'd ever seen seen them, I guess. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. But, um, oh my God, it was an amazing show. Like there was just mm-hmm. all, like mm. I just I turned back into yeah, it was <coughs> Glastonbury. It was like in right. the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, we still our first gig like through a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, we stayed in Billy one of Billy Corgan's houses. In uh, he has a couple of houses in Chicago, and uh, his cat Satan. We might have to mind his cat, and his cat's called Satan. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, let's go. I think all cats are Satan. <laughs> Indeed, Kieran, you're ninety-seven. Yeah, just nothing happened except uh, okay computer. Okay, okay, okay. Down the stairs, and um, uh, I remember uh, when Diana died, my mother was really upset in the kitchen. She's like, she, she kind of gave me. I'm putting my hand up here, but she put her hand up to me, and then my dad went, um, and then Princess Diana died. Well, I said, for whatever reason, I still remember. It was like this huge thing in the house. It was like you know, <laughs> you know. Well, it was a big thing. Yeah, it was, I but I most people can remember where they were. But I can't. Rem- I can't you know? honestly don't remember another like moment, like you know, obviously nine eleven, all those kind of things mm. that happened. Yeah. That you you remember them? There are things that happened that you were kind of part of them happening. Mm. But like that was like I came down and other people. It was happening to other mm. people, mm. and I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think as well around then, like you have twenty four hour news, like Sky News and stuff like that, like yeah. covering something at nauseum. So it's probably the first time any of us witnessed well, like, like that. Like, yeah, I mean, two yeah. of the most seismic moments in popular mm-hmm. culture really Diana dying and OJ being let off mm. you know in terms of the 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 format for you know a complete change in journalism and a complete yeah. change media, in reality media TV. coverage in general I mean everything kind of <clears throat> springs from those two events that we're looking looking at now I think in, mm. in a large way so uh, before we look at the shortlist um, for this episode let's look at some of the albums that didn't make it uh, well <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm so frustrated that um well why don't we do the shortlist because I think you'll know why I'm frustrated. <laughs> okay. Well the shortlist uh, for this episode we've we've basically kind of everybody voted and zoned down on the on the five albums that were most popular among among the the group and it was U2 Pop, David Holmes Let's Get Killed, The Cores Talk on Corners, The Revenants Horse of a Different Color and Sack Butterfly Effect. Yeah. So what's missing? Well, the thing was, um, because there was such a strong, <laughs> like pop got, you know, 
you know what was true uh, the cores got 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 lots of votes and so there was a lots of ones that got third votes or so there was a draw between sack and uh, and the grand parade by um mm. which was one I voted for mm. uh, the grand parade by the frank and walters but because carol's first choice was sack then I, that sort of went through because grand parade was my my, my it's a complicated my process yeah <laughs> it's like the pr voting Jesus, <laughs> but i mean yeah because otherwise you just have tons of draws because you know you, right. you can only vote for two so um yeah, I just I, I was a huge fan of, of, of I never heard it before. Um, uh, the Grand Parade by um, Frank and Walters, and uh, I was talking to um, Ashley from from the Frank and Walters f- for a previous episode where they they were they were the album that was recommended to be re- re- to, to revisit from '92, which is Trains, Boats, and Planes, and he was talking about the album and the mentalness of it. And the fact is that was '92. This is 2000. This the show is nineteen ninety seven. There's five years between the first and second album because they were so busy and everything else that happened. And he said it was a far better album. So uh, I was looking forward to hearing the Grand Parade, and then I really liked it. And, I think it's uh, a great album, I have to say. I really liked it, and, uh, and uh, it's not what you said in your voting car. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't say it was the greatest. <laughs> and so um, yeah, and uh, I just think it's a really good album. I think um, lots of tracks, tracks like Colors, uh, is, is one of them. There's a track on it about the Russian submarines or whatever, and I was like, mm, Trump in charge. This is so. <laughs> So like today, but um, yeah, I'm just ashamed that that didn't get in. Okay. Uh, also, Nick Kelly didn't make it. Anyone having to say about that? Keela? It was on what? my short list. Was it? Both were, actually. Yeah, Keela I, and I, Nick I Kelly. I kind of would have liked to have seen Keela get through. That album had a huge impact on me, actually. Um, I kind of grew up listening to Trad. Probably the opposite of your household. My parents <laughs> didn't really have music in the house at all, but traditional music was really where it was at. And Keela were like a huge access point because... It was the first time that my peers were it kind of like the way the gloaming is now, the way like yeah. gloaming is absolute like hipster music now mm. from people who haven't really listened to that much trad. I loved gloaming, by the way. But um, so Keela was like people were getting into it. And I remember seeing Antaiv Tulmach on uh, the Ireland Top 30 chart show mm-hmm. on RT2. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was like, oh, my God, because I went to to an all-Irish school as well and Keela went to my school too and so it was just like oh my god like there's Irish on the pop chart you know and yeah. it was bit, you know big deal um, and they're, uh, Keela are probably one of my favourite Irish bands actually so yeah I was sad that they didn't get through but I probably should have put it number one if I <laughs> well, wanted it that bad I had the same dilemma I mean Keela were on the list but they didn't they didn't make it high enough for it to, to make the, t- the shortlist. Awkwardly, like, uh, I'm probably a number then in this one. Yeah. I've, I've always had a mental block with Keela. And mm. I, I went back and listened to this record. Mm. And I don't know what it is about it. It, it just makes me incredibly fidgety in the sense of I'm listening to it. <laughs> and fidgety like, music. Yeah, yeah I just kind of feel like I'm distracted by something else. Like, oh, the, there's the time or something. Or what's on my phone? I can't really engage with it. I, I understand a lot. I've seen their gigs and people absolutely go for it. So you know that it's kind of a mental block with yourself rather than a mental block with everyone else, you know, that kind of yeah, yeah. I've never just you. connected with it, yeah, I have to mm. say. And when, as try as I might with that album, I just, it made me feel uncomfortable, <laughs> I have to say. I was so like, it's it's your fault it's not getting? on the list, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's, what, yeah. Yeah. it's also <laughs> your fault. That, uh, oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, look. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the albums that did make it. Uh, and first we'll go with the Coors, Talk on Corners, which sounds like this. I never really loved you anyway. Anyway, yeah. I never really loved you anyway. I'm so glad you 
And it was Dave who had a look at this album, so uh, he sent in an audio clip. And this from is his what, sick bed. From his sick bed, and this is what he had to say. Greetings from my sick bed. I'm having a rough couple of weeks, kids. Did the core's wildly successful second album ease my pain somewhat? Well, let's start off by saying that Only When I Sleep is still an absolute belter of a song. What an opener! I mean, this is the core showing some teeth while balancing their fusion of quaint traditional Irish music heritage and more contemporary pop rock leanings. Frankly, you'd want for more of this sort of thing in their career. Talking Corners is a strange one, and it's a good insight into the industry during this time. It comes out in 1997 and the singles don't set the world ablaze. Smash cut to a high-profile televised gig at the Royal Albert Hall on the following St. Patrick's Day, some heavyweight UK media attention, and a subsequent re-release of the record with the cover of Fleetwood Mac's Dreams on it, and boom, the album goes on to become something of a commercial juggernaut. Is it any good, though? Well, yes and no. I mean, again, it represents a strong illustration of what the chords are about, but hey, that's what the first album was for, right? This time around, the siblings concentrated heavily on songwriting, and even had some scraps with the record label who weren't terribly enamoured with some of what they were hearing in the initial stages. They worked with big-money writers and producers and still wound up with a Fleetwood Mac and a Jimi Hendrix cover. They got painfully over their time remix act Tin Tin Out involved. They pushed hard for the likes of So Young, which skirts the kind of line that Bewitched gleefully danced a jig over. I mean, in some respects, Talking Corners is a mess of its own making, a record that fought so hard to avoid the difficult second album cliché that it created a whole bunch of identity problems for itself along the way. On the other hand, it's a showcase of confidence and ambition from the band, one that proved marketable to a global audience, and all in the face of a rather overproduced sound and a wholesale lack of runaway. Come on, Runaway's an incredible song, let's be honest. So is Talking Corners good? Well, uh, I'll get back to you. Is it worth a revisit? Absolutely, without question. It's a fascinating record for many, many reasons. The kind of thing you can throw on and really enjoy, stop and kind of say, maybe that's a bit dated, and also kind of wonder, was this as good as I thought it was at the time? Is it even better now? Does it hold up? It raises all kinds of questions, and that's what we're here to do in the revisit. And to be fair, as I say, that's one of the best opening tracks I've heard on a record by pretty much anybody. So, what do we all think of that? <laughs> well, I think that I w- this is a surprise that it was in the shortlist for me, um, uh, and it stole it stole some places. I have to say, at least <laughs> not um, resentful at all. No, no. Um, I think that I, I was surprised how many songs I knew in it. They were absolutely uh, massive at the time, and I think there was seven. I think seven singles off this album. Yeah. Weirdly, as Dave couldn't mentioned, get away from them. Yeah. Weirdly, as Dave mentioned, there was um, an initial uh, album which was released and did fine, and then there was a, a year later uh, there was a new album release, as, you know, a new version of the album with Dreams on it, which is the Tintin Out remix, which is really weird in this album because the album became the, the album that you hear now is the album is the second version, and it has um, lots and lots of, of the songs are remixed. They have strange kind of trip hoppy kind of beats underneath them. Um, Tintin Out and Todd Terry and all this kind of stuff and it's a really odd album it doesn't hang together very well I don't think it kind of sounds at times like one of those Dance to Tipperary albums where they have dance music over <laughs> the it's I, I just don't it's just kind of jarring you know um, production is ropey yeah it but, is but I think that the thing about the production is the repro- production is everywhere it's so produced mm. it's so slick it's so sweet their mm-hmm. voices sound amazing the harmonies are Perfect. They're like beautiful robots singing beautifully in time. You know, it's 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 too perfect. You know, and um. But the funny thing is, I listen to some of the tracks on YouTube because uh, you know I can't listen to Spotify uh, uh, on my phone anywhere. Um. So I listen to you tracks on YouTube, and the tracks on YouTube are less produced. Like for example, the the so young version, which I think, as Dave said, about be which it is kind of almost a girl band song, but um. 
the version that's on YouTube doesn't have the the weird kind of repeated vocals that the version on the album does, and you know, I'd like to hear that album a lot more. Mm. I think like uh, Dave kind of captured it quite well. It's like something like this. You, you know, what is a what is a good album? Like, I think he he kind of says like it isn't a great album, but there's something about it. I think even like with Kieran saying that he could remember so many songs of it. That speaks to longevity of the actual songwriting itself, and an album can be like the meeting point of you know production and songwriting as well. And some records maybe deserve to be remembered but aren't. And I think when you're looking back at something like this, you have to say, well, why was this successful? Why do people listen to it? And I think it's 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 almost an artifact now to listen to. I don't think it would it would be successful at all now. I think it'd be quite quaint, as you're saying. I think it's it's interesting to listen to in the sense that it is so pristine and so perfect and so crafted and so much time and everything else. When you listen to pop music now, which I think has its own aesthetic, is completely the opposite end of it. It's not as pristine. It's not as worked on in the same way. There's a lot of kind of, and I have no problem with it, but there is a lot of kind of sing the song, auto-tune it, do what you want. Like, as you say, like a lot of backing vocals are perfect, but they're actually performed that way. There's a lot of craft, in my view, in, in my view, that's gone into it that makes it stand out for me. And I think with anything, like how you remember a record like this is through the singles because it's not supposed to be Sgt. Peppers or anything like that. It's supposed to be a collection of songs, here is band, give it to you. And I think that's interesting that a manufactured band, or well they weren't obviously their family, but like the manufactured music and the way that it was done was done in such a pristine and, and kind of interesting way to me. I think that was what drew me to it. I have to say with the other records, far from obviously one or two, I was listening to them, but I, I didn't feel any sort of like, okay, this is kind of indie by numbers, you know, this is paint by numbers, whatever. And with this, it was it was by the numbers, but it's so well done. I think longevity is the key there, mm. though, because, I mean, that's... The Coors are one of the few Irish bands that could really lay claim to having more than two or three songs in the popular Irish music songbook, really. And, and this record you know it doesn't have runaway like you know it doesn't have that but you know those songs that that stay with you i think so young is a great song um and and again listening to it, you're kind of remembering them all again and like yeah you, you know you're right they were so big like they were so giant um and this album <clears throat> was so popular that it pulled uh their first record Back into the chart, and so the Coors became the first band since the Beatles to have an album at one and two. And Runaway was re-released as well. Yeah, after this, re- remixed again by uh, Tintin Out, who was obviously Tintin Out. Like, do they did they did a speaking of the Spice Girls, Tintin Out did Emma Bunton's first solo single. They did, which was, yes, uh, throw me in the shallow water. Uh, yeah. What I am is what I am. What I am is what I am. Yeah, yeah. Edie Brickhouse on. Huh? Did she cover that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I think it went to number one as well. It did, it? yeah. God damn it, Tintin. Yeah. <laughs> so the Throwing next, out the hits. Next show, is he Irish? <laughs> do they do Here's Where the Story Ends? That one? Oh, I think they might have as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I can hear. I can think <laughs> I remember that. That's mental. It's mental how much stuff you can remember when you when it's played to you, like audio memories as opposed to like, yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell you what I did for half the year, but I could tell you. Tell you Someone played a song and go, oh, I remember that. So let's move on to our next album, which you is... You notice I stayed very, very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you're going to have to talk now. Okay. The next album is uh, Butterfly Effect by Sack, which yeah. sounds a bit like this. It's cold inside. It's cold inside. 
was uh, Laugh Line. So, Carol, what do you make of this album? Uh, <laughs> I wish in a way I'd had a bit, I'd given myself a bit more time to really get to know it um, because there's a lot of songs on it. There's 14 tracks on the album um, and I feel like I didn't quite get under the skin of all of them, but I knew quite a number of the tracks from seeing the band live over the year. And I think that says something about the strength of the material that um, they're a really strong live band. And I think that's a big, maybe a big part of my affection for SAC. More, I'm, I'm more familiar with them as a live band than as a recorded band. Um, and I'm particularly, I have a particular fondness for Martin McCann as a front person, both, you know, in a live capacity and as a singer. Um, so I'm waffling a little bit, but... Um, I think it's a really strong album. Um, I think it might be a tiny bit over long. Um, I feel a little bit, um, a little bit, uh, a little bit funny about about making any critical remarks about it because I know some of the people involved in the band who are still involved in music. Um, but if I'm honest, I think it probably could have been at least two tracks shorter. Um, I think it might have made a, a, a crisper listen. Um, my favourite tracks, I have a few favourite tracks, but my absolute favourite is Laughter Lines, um, which I think was the first song I pro- properly heard by Sack. I, I vaguely remember hearing the single they released, I think, in 1994, which was um, What Do the Christians Ever Do For Us? Mm. That was the first thing they ever but put I out. I didn't realise that was such a, a hit or whatever. It was uh, Enemies, like Song of the Week yeah. and Melody Maker and all it, this kind of... It seemed to sort of steam, you know, start, uh, give them a head of steam, Um and they signed to a, a label called Lemon at the time. I'm not aware of who they were or how big that label was. That's not U2's label or anything, is it? I don't think so. No. But um, then that label collapsed, as a lot of them did, and they were dropped and moved on to another label for this album. And I don't think the album did as well as uh, I guess it was hoped it would do. I think there was a lot of expectation behind the band, especially because, well, actually, it was after this album came out. Um, that Morrissey picked up on them and brought them out on tour for a couple of uh, a couple of his uh, tours. He was a big fan. Um, I I still hold Martin McCann up as being one of my favourite singers and and front people, and I still go and see Sack when they play. And he's a great DJ as well. Yeah, yeah, he is. And that's the thing. I mean, I think it's it's kind of an aside, but it's inter- It was interesting to me to look at the overall list of. Um, of quite a fairly diverse range of artists and musicians who were listed on the longer list that we all got before we narrowed it down to our own favourites. And quite a significant number of them are either still together in the original guys or are in some shape or form still involved in music in quite a, an integral way. And and sometimes it's on the production side of things. Sometimes it's in, you know, um, being involved in event management or, or or things like that but most of them still get out and play which is mm. I think says a lot because there's some there's some sad stories along <laughs> the way you know we all have disappointments too so I, I, I think <coughs> you're right about that song Laughter Lines a couple of songs on it that I really liked um, mm. the one thing has struck me um, with this um, this um, I found it I, I, you, you, the first couple of times I listened to it I just, just got nothing from it it's quite dense. And it's I, I very just like, oh, this is very, yeah. like, very too guitar heavy as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's very guitar yeah. and I think you have to kind of wait for the songs to land on you a little yeah, bit. That's and a, it's a production and arrangement thing. Yeah, I, I, it's a grower, I suppose, is what I would say. Um, it's a grower, not a shower. So um, the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, uh, 
yeah, it just took a long time to get to know it. And then when I did get to know it, it came out and I, was, I, th- I thought it was, I th- started to really like it. And mm. I kind of dismissed it a little bit. I think I said, you know, like, I listened to it and I was like, okay, it's like this. And I had, I was already kind of formulating what I was going to say. And then the more I listened to it, the more certain songs kind of came through. And as mm. you said, um, it kind of, yeah, it kind of started to show itself. Um, one thing is, it's there's so little of it online. If I type in butterfly effect, if I wanted to find it, you mean? yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a, there was a film with Aston Kutcher in it or something from whenever, and it's just all about that, you know. And yeah, like it was actually really hard to find any more about them. I, I, one thing I was, uh, I, I thought it was very the two people. I, I thought it sounded like the Boo Radleys, and I thought it sounded like interesting, yeah, uh, um, Marcy, and he toured. They, and they, yeah. they, they toured with That's, Boo Radleys, and, yeah, and both of those yeah. bands. But they described themselves and. It's it's on like press releases and it's been in it said an interview as Frank Sinatra front of the Pixies, which I don't think is a bad description actually. Mm. You know, because I think Martin McCann is a really strong good crooner. You know, yeah. I don't think there they is, sound like yeah. Pixies really. Yeah, um, I don't get the Pixies. From not really. I think closer very, Boo Radley's is probably closer. And Marcy, it's very Marcy mm. influenced too. Well, there's a song called Definitely. Shop Soiled, and it's yeah. so Marcy. It's quite Marcy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there's another song called Blood Lover, and I think mm. it's like halfway through. I think you're right about that. It's a bit. It's a little bit long. I yeah. I think if if it had been a bit more economical as a record, I think the stronger songs would have really. You know, helped. Popped, yeah, yeah, I think they would have popped more. Songs like Angel, like why they didn't open the album with that, because it's it's straight in, no guitars. Fun fact <coughs> about Sack, uh, John Burton is mm-hmm. pretty much responsible for my journalism career. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was right. was the guitarist? Yeah, yeah. I was, John was booking bands in the hub when it first opened in Tampa Bar, and I was uh, writing music reviews for their new website which was uh, very innovative at the time for beer and John was writing for the event guide and he was stopping writing for them and they I needed one he used to write for the event one guide. person to write do all of the music stuff for it and John told the editor Kieran Owens to get me to do it and so John told me this I was like oh my god amazing and that's how I started writing in print there you His go. Fault. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, I have to say, with with the record, I think it's interesting that you you kind of mirrored it in a way, Kieran. Like when I was listening to it, uh, when I review anything for the last mixtape, I like to kind of listen to it maybe once or twice. I walk away and I'll try to think of what I can remember. It's kind of like when you go to a gig, you don't. I don't take notes or anything like that. I, I, I can never understand people who did. What I would do is I, on my walk home, I'd try to think of the things that stuck out to me because that's the stuff you remember. So that must be mm. the most important stuff, be they good or bad. And with this record, I couldn't for the life of me think of me think what was sticking out at me. Like it was so, and maybe it's the length of it. Maybe it's such a long time sitting with it, but nothing stuck out really as that's the song that I think the record's made on, or that's the kind of the theme of it. It sounded mm. quite indie for the time that it was, and I think that I didn't actually listen to them at the time. Mm. So I feel mm. that had I listened to them in 1997, I would have really enjoyed it. But looking back at it from 2017 didn't really make that impression not to be the kind of the guy who, who did it who's yeah, kind of the, I think <laughs> for, like for me listening to it, it it kind of uh you know shows how how much you know how guitars have really disappeared from they music because mm. yeah. when you're li- like you're saying it's very guitar when you're listening to this it's all mm-hmm. guitar it's all yeah. you know mm. and you're thinking god like i just don't or they're just mm. far less prominent i think yeah you know 
music and, and rock music or indie music, everything has become far more separated and its own entity. And this is very much this big wave. It's of a the, wall of guitar. Yeah, of, the of guitar yeah. sound. So I think it's very much of the time as well. Very much of the time. That's interesting as well, Una. Like, I think there was a time in between that record and now where we were almost apologetic about having guitars in, in indie music. Yeah. You know? Kaiser Chiefs and stuff like that the guitar is like way in the background and don't pay any attention yeah, to it yeah. you know what I mean so maybe that might be part of it that we kind of overdosed it's definitely guitar. a different way of listening yeah. I mm. think and I think I think context is, is kind of important and, mm. and probably I don't know probably it definitely hugely influenced my choice because there's a certain I suppose it's not nostalgia but I definitely have a relationship from the time with that music mm. and and have a particular affection for the band Mm. And it's a lot of that is from seeing them live and from loving them as a live entity. So maybe you know, I I kind of shook the rules a little bit because <laughs> I didn't okay. I didn't go one hundred percent for the best. We'll see you at the committee ever. meeting tomorrow. <laughs> it's arguable that you know I probably c- could have put the Frank and Walters higher on the list because, it's, because <laughs> it may be dangling that in front of him like. But I will, yeah, I, this, it's funny. One thing that I did think from it is it's very confident. I thought it was a confident mm. album. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I felt like he. I don't know uh, Martin McCann and I watched the video and uh, I watched a video for one of the songs is Latitude uh, which is I, th- I think probably my favourite and um, I just thought he was so un- unlikely or something he just didn't <laughs> sound like the voice you know yeah. and, I, I found it, and he didn't, doesn't sing in the video until halfway through and I was like right. is, is, is that the singer? You know? he, is, he is unlike his voice yeah. in a way he's, as a front man he's got this sort of um, sort of like a half clownish and half bullish attitude on stage so he's sort of he's sort of winking at you not literally winking at you but you know sort of um, in attitude he's winking at you but also at the same time you wouldn't fuck with him you know (laughs) and I love that I I really like that Mm. I only read one thing about um, Sack Online one piece and it said that they were allergic to success and I just I just thought you could say that about so many people yeah Yeah, but I was just thinking though but as well I kind of liked not that I liked but I liked that how confident the album was it was like mm. it was just like as if it was like a, a like you said a fuck you to to success you know mm. i mean like like the reality of of you know every band is there's always a thought about that but if you can still make music that lasts and it's completely it's completely independent of of whether or not it was successful or not like a lot of these albums you know like you're not you're not going to to look at um the the sales of them to to see whether they're good or not you know because it doesn't matter now you know, mm. and, and I think especially with that one, like I've no idea how many albums it's all. I've no idea how big they were. Yeah, I've no idea. But it's still, there's just a confidence within it. And yeah, as I said, it it grew on me as as the kind of you know two weeks kind of went on. I really kind of okay. I became much more um, into it. Actually, it wasn't even two weeks. It was it was the last kind of five days. Sorry, mm. uh, the other albums I listened to do, but that, that I didn't. It wasn't on my original list. But then when I got it, yeah. So over the course of the the, the five days um, that I listened to it, yeah, it, it, it grew on me. All right. Well, I suppose seeing as we're talking about so many guitars, let's move on to David Holmes. <laughs> and um, uh, let's listen to a track from his album, Let's Get Killed.
by David Holmes and uh, Una you had some thoughts on this album yeah this was my choice I think just because I hadn't listened to it in so long and going back to the album if you're looking at obviously with hindsight you can kind of figure out what is more innovative than the other things around it and really this record really holds up you know it sounds like it does sound of the time in the kind of uh, you know the, the, the mainstreaming of softer kind of techno-y breakbeat-y kind of bits um, I suppose most typified by like Moby or someone like that but mm. and also in like the, the samples the sp- spoken samples the conversation samples and that kind of stuff which kind of sounds a little bit cliche but actually it's a really like the, it's a really interesting album like you can really sit down and listen to it um, and so I was kind of really enjoying it and I was I suppose natural with David Holmes that it is kind of telling this story or or setting this place and time, which is, you know, New York and, you know, is going to be cinematic. The dude, you know, writes film scores, all that kind of stuff. But there's something, um, although it completely stands up and feels, you know, quite contemporary, it is very much a point in time as well. Like when you're listening to it, you're like, that is mid to late 90s uh, you know someone experimenting with electronic music but trying to make it quite scory and uh, you know Holmes is an absolute innovator you know he's always in the background um, doing his thing and the, I just really enjoyed I just really enjoyed listening to the album I really enjoyed it and I was reading up about it afterwards and this, the conversation bits that he recorded and recorded to use for those like little samples and stuff um, like he had them for 10 years, you know, and was kind of looking for something to do with them. And you recorded and the, them when he, was in, when he was 17. Yeah. I mean, that's that's some forward thinking shit, right? There. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And also just that idea that, you know, this is a music made by an Irish artist or artist from Belfast. Um, it doesn't sound, doesn't and didn't sound like anything else at the time, apart from maybe pop. Uh, mm. And it's so outside of Ireland. You know, it's it's so outward looking. It's all about you know, these weird jazzy bits, these weird break beats, these weird uh, trip hoppy bits, obviously very much of the time as well. Um, there's an energy to it that is not is not Belfast, but also kind of is. And, and it, it feels very sophisticated. Uh, and I just kind of thought, yeah, maybe that was the best Irish album of, of 1997 in retrospect. Those are my thoughts. Cool. Let's mm-hmm. open it up to the panel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say I wasn't familiar with the record uh, before listening to it, but I really enjoyed it and it was a close third for me listening to it. I'm glad it actually made it in as well. Mm. We could talk about it because I think you're right there. It, the, probably the most interesting thing is that it was an Irish album made in 1997 and doesn't sound like an Irish album yeah. made in 1997. Yeah. It sounds like it could have been made anywhere. It could have been made in New York, Berlin, any, anywhere like that. Yeah. And that kind of forward thinking. What kind of got me about it too is the way how kind of cubist it is with the music it, it kind of like cuts and pace and like things are thrown in at other like there's very sharp angles to the entire time, record yeah. and it kind of moves in that way so you're not entirely sure what's coming around the corner and I think that's how it keeps your interest because you need to with an album like that where there's not let's say a hook or a chorus coming up you need to keep people's interest for mm. a very long period of time I think that's what he does it's, mm. it's cinematic in that way yeah. 
so I really enjoyed it listening to it um, and it was I think it, uh, of the of the few here that I didn't know it was definitely the one I was like after we do this I'll go back and listen to it a hell of a lot more I think. yeah yeah. Well, I feel like I need to go back and check it out more as well because mm. I, I, I think I wouldn't say it passed me by at the time but definitely he it felt even though I was aware he was an Irish artist from the north of Ireland from Belfast he's from Belfast isn't he yeah yeah that it didn't feel like he was it felt like he was he could be he he was from somewhere else, you know. Um, that's not a criticism. That's just it's it's as if I didn't relate to him in the way that I related to other Irish artists around me. That yeah. I felt um, quite I f- dark yeah. and ominous, though, as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like I was, I was surprised. Um, I was actually surprised how uh, how much I had got into it because I sometimes with these kind of albums, um, like DJ albums, where there's you know ju- you know like guest singers or it's kind of you know eight minute long songs with a bit of dubstep in it I, I just mm. kind of kind of went into it thinking I wasn't going to be into it but I loved all the little stories there's one there's one little short one um, five or six in I don't have it written down the name of it and it's uh, a guy and he's just, he does a kind of a, he does a kind of a rap and at the end he's like okay man keep 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 in touch with me you know tell me yeah. how the album's going <laughs> or whatever and when he said it's just something that made me laugh you know and like I was really kind of into all the little snippets and all the little things and, and it's really human yeah you know and it's re- it is very tactile and you can feel yourself in the like you know close your eyes listen to this album and you can see the like rubbish pouring out of the wire bin and the Lower East Side and yeah. the lights coming <laughs> off the puddles and I mean you're you're very much in it like yeah, it's very urban it's very yeah, urban yeah and it's just very evocative I think you know the first track is called Listen you know and it's less than a minute long and, and really mm. it's kind of this command that compels you to be like okay I'm gonna go on, on a journey with this and yeah, I was kind of surprised, surprised that that I liked it, and I mean, it was a big album. It charted in the US, um, maybe up in the twenties or thirties or something like that. Um, so he and did also a good a lot job. Of, a lot of songs are uh, I've heard, I recognize a lot of the tracks from ads. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. is some yeah. yeah, gritty shaker is one of them. Is definitely yeah. some sort of car ad or whatever. Mm. I think uh, the use of the voices, um, the fact that they they are pre record like recorded. F- almost found sounds you know yeah. so yeah, it's not a rapper it's stuff, not yeah. exactly field recording exactly. so there's a variety in the voices but they're very um, connected to the place that they come from and they're very conversational and there's a great one um, where it's a guy t- giving out basically about not being able to dance at a club I don't mm. know which track it is but I really enjoyed that you know and it's it's it as you say puts you completely in that place uh, or you, you imagine the whole scene you know um, so it was a natural movement yeah. for him to move into soundtrack yeah, you know, absolutely. I think it throws up different things every time you listen to it as well. I think, like you're right. saying, there's bit different moments and different bits of conversation that appear throughout the record that you probably don't get the first time. Yeah, you get the second or third. So I think it's one of those ones that kind of throws up something every once in a while. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't at the start before kind of like I try and listen to the albums first before I go investigating them because I think it's more interesting just yeah. to kind of come cold. Mm. And um, I didn't know. I thought they were film bits of films, you know. Mm. But then because they were so rambly, all the mm. little stories. Thought they couldn't be parts of films. Like there's one guy and he's like listening off the drugs that he's taken That's and right, the yeah, state yeah. that he's in. And I was just kind of going like, "What film could this be from?" <laughs> you know, like, it's so bizarre. But then, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I I really liked it. Now the only thing about it was was I think it's it, and maybe you just said I can't remember what name it was. I don't know the names of anything because of the songs on it. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily. No, it's not about that, really. It's, yeah, yeah, but it's like they're pieces as opposed to like songs, and so as a result, it 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 suits a kind of a listen. It, it isn't very, 
you know, it's not very malleable sort of, you know, mm. like, like, for example, uh, I often put my headphones in and I walk around with my daughter in the, in the, or in the buggy and listen to this, like New York street scenes and stuff. I think I would just find it a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas on the train on the way in, um, I wanted to write down the names of the songs because I hadn't, I didn't write any names. I was listening to the songs and it's just on the train. It was amazing going on the train, <laughs> yeah, going yeah. past Donny Mount, you know, a strand. It's, it's like, a particular oh, atmosphere. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that kind of restricts it slightly because I felt like I needed to be in the buzz for it a bit more. Like I had to go towards the album. What would you normally buzz. listen to walking along wheel in the buggy? <laughs> oh, well, actually, I listen to podcasts. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but um, I, 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 listen to, I listen to music in, in, when I'm driving and stuff like that. And, yeah. uh, uh, and then I, I think listen. it'd be great driving music. Yeah, I think yeah, driving, yeah. yeah, movement, yeah, that kind of stuff. It's very, like, it's very, I don't know, it's very nighttime. It's very, yeah, it's also quite, um, you know, it is, it is a very uh, metropolitan <laughs> album. Like, it's, it's re- like super city-based. You can hear the... You know, I, I don't know. It's if not any- for walking children in nature. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> not you, really. can, you can hear the the grid, the grid network of the streets in Manhattan. You know, you can hear all of those things. And uh, I think it's kind of interesting to me cool. not having listened to it tons, but having you know, um, and actually initially when I started listening to it, I was dipping in and out of the tracks to kind of get a flavour of which I wouldn't normally do. I think it's because probably I'm, you know, we've been taking a bit of license because they're instrumental, you know, in mm. a way, because it's not listening to a narrative as such. But I found I found when I was doing that, I think it's quite as as an album, the as a, I think the palette of sounds is quite limited, and I don't know whether that was deliberate or whether it was just whatever was to hand and whatever it was dictated by, you know, software plugins. Who knows? I don't know what he was using from that time, but I actually think that probably works to its its it's advantage yeah, I, in a lot I, of ways you're dead right about that like it is yeah. that kind of limited palette even though you fi- yeah. it does fi- it, yeah it does feel it's like very that. much of a piece yeah also Jem from Oasis played that was my fact that was my fact Jem from Oasis yeah. Jem from Oasis he played on Radio 7 mm-hmm. well there you are there you are <laughs> big year for Oasis in <laughs> Well, uh, let's um, let's turn our attention to um, another band that had their side sets stateside, and this is U uh, two and Pop. <laughs> Stephen, you had some thoughts. Yeah, well, I suppose like when I was listening to the records and when I got like the list, I was really happy to see this because I, I, I always want to talk about this record because it's an absolute hot mess of a record and it's fantastic for it. If you, have, if you look at U2 at the time, it's coming off the back of like Octung Baby, which is this absolute monumental record and then Zupra, which follows it, which is an understated record. And I think kind of an underrated one as well has a Stay Far Away So Close, which I think more people should actually listen to. So you have these two kind of almost buzzing with the change of, you know, the analog, the digital age, which I think that's what Octone Baby is, you know, and it's the real invention of you 2 changing themselves from the probably the more monolithic sound of Joshua Tree and moving into the more kind of European industrial kind of almost techno electronic based sounds of, of Octone Baby. You come then to pop 
which is absolutely <laughs> sorry, <laughs> which is absolutely like you know actually buzzes and kind of fuzzes and fizzes around, and it really reaches. It's probably their like their last hurrah stylistically to me, because what follows it is all that you can't leave behind, which is all sorts of colours of beige, and very vanilla and very safe and very apologetic for pop almost. Like we're really really sorry we overdosed. <laughs> it was too excessive. We went too far. But that's actually what I like about it as a record. You know, you have Mofo that sounds like like you know the throwaway track of a Jason Bourne movie. <laughs> so I'm trying to not hit the table now. I'm moving my hands up in the air. Um, Just you know, sit on them. Yeah, sit on my hands or something like that. You know, you have like this big riff rock of a you know a disco tech. Everything about the album, they throw this, and it's not a pretty production, and it doesn't really work. But it's actually trying to do something, and I think with some of these records. There wasn't the point where I'm going, I can see what you're trying to do. And this is at the point for me when you two were still trying to do that. They were still trying to capture something. They're still trying to move forward. You know, Bono, to me, and I know this is probably a controversial thing to say, is probably one of the great front men of all time, which would be in certain people would go very mad when they hear that. But he is. I think, you know, you know the Mephesto uh, character, everything about him. And I think this is when they it also has a sense of humor about themselves. You know, Discotech, the, the video had a sense of humor about itself as well. Like the problem with it is, is that like songs like um, "Staring at the Sun," which is a beautiful song, but it it's kind of pelted with this production that just goes <laughs> at the background, you know, where it has edge with a guitar sound throughout the entire record, which is great. I love I love the guitar sound, and to me, Edge is one of the great guitarists. He's he's one of those guitarists like Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr could really like he was the guitarist for the Smiths. You couldn't have anyone else playing guitar for the Smiths but Johnny Marr. Same for the Edge and you too. Now the guitars are more you know processed than cat food on pop but it's kind of interesting isn't it like it's interesting to listen to and what I think of it is good about this record is that it's it's the type of record that tries and it tries so hard and it reaches so far but fails on so many levels but that's kind of the interest I'd rather listen to a record that tries and fails instead of you know, sit still and you know you know achieve something there are some certain bands around now that I'd love to name do that you know and you're just like do something but like you two, at least at this point, I know why people like in you know recent albums have been a bit bitty. But for me, this is like so hyper stylized that you can't help but smile at how hard they're trying. <laughs> and I think it's such a shame that after that, they, you know, they kind of become, as I say, a little bit apologetic. You like, and I think I like a couple of songs on on all that you can't leave behind. But for me, you know, the the, the opening with with discotech with that kind of whirling guitar and everything that follows mm-hmm. it. It's just this massive, like, I mean, I don't know, I don't think they were on anything at the time, but it just sounds like, you know, the, the height of the party where all that you can't leave behind is kind of the bit where you're, like, ringing up your friends apologising for what you've done. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's why, for me, you know, like like a lot of records, like, you know, give you Pink Floyd as an example, you know, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon is probably perfect, okay? It's not my favourite Pink Floyd album, but I know it's their best. My favourite Pink Floyd album is The Wall, which is also a hot mess and very flawed and just very long and very bloated. And this record as well is kind of bloated. It's not my favourite U2 record. That's Supra. Everybody should listen to Supra. But pop is like that, <laughs> is that, is that kind of record that I think, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you listen to some... Like I'll give you an example. Foo Fighters. Can't stand Foo Fighters. And they would never make a record like this because they don't have it in them to be that creative because it's so by the numbers. This is, isn't by the numbers and that's why it kind of fails in a lot of ways, but I'd rather see that in a record. I think this is the first time I've ever heard somebody speak passionately about you too. A hot mess is the best mm. description of this album, I think. This is the album that got me into you too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which really? is weird. Um 
Because yeah, it was like 97, I was 14. And the 98, they released the best of. The first part of the best of. 1980 yeah, to yeah. 1990. Okay. And that's, I actually got into YouTube properly from the best of, which is super lame. But uh, that's what of I got me. into Smashing Pumpkins. I don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah. with a band so, who had a load of like, albums. Uh, it's so, it's really, um, <laughs> pop as an album is actually like, it kind of twists your neck a bit. Mm. It's not very pleasant to listen to. Mm. You know, it's kind of an affront. Mm. But another, and even like, you know, Bono's uh, enunciation, and the mm. snarl and the sneer and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, is not very pleasant. Like they're not like welcoming you into something. Mm. Um, but I think that's kind of why it's good. And it also it has "Wake Up Dead Man" on it, right? Wake Up Dead Which Man. Which "Wake Up Dead Man" is mm-hmm. one of U2's best songs. You know, it, it is, really absolutely. is. I was good. I, I think it's one. Of my, I think it's my favorite. It's also the it could only be a Radiohead tune or something. <laughs> like it's really mm. odd. swear word in a, in a U2 song as well. He says, is that right? Oh. Oh. He says, "Fucked." He says, "Fucked." Do you say it like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a fucked up world it is too. Yeah, which oh, is yeah. which is mad when you think about you too. But I, I, I think that everything that Stephen said was right. And everything, yeah, it's. I think it's not as cheesy, and um, sometimes, and um, because Bono is, is is very earnest, and that's a, why a lot of people like what he does. Um, but sometimes it can it can kind of go across the line a little bit into cheesiness. And um, it isn't as, I don't think this is, I mean, it still has God will send his angels, which mm. is a very cheesy song. But then the counterpoint to a song about God, which is very cheesy, is Wake Up Dead Man, which is, mm. it just seems so honest, you know, I think. Mm. I yeah, think, I think Wake Up Dead Man is kind of an echo for me for All I Want Is You. Mm. Like there's kind of a line there that can be traced in, in a song that is actually, even though there's cliche in it, it is actually, you can sense the truth in it and the honesty and it's extraordinarily open. And it's so weird that that track is actually on this album because the whole thing is so sarcastic mm. and so, so 90s, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like literally like could be the Euro trash soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, it, you know, it is, it's super cynical and, uh, you know, air quotes, a lot of air quotes. Mm. Um, I, d- I don't know. I think I agree with that. I think the worst songs are like that. But I think there's like um, uh, Mofo, Mofo's great, and Gone. I think Gone is fantastic. But I, I think they're pr- they're all they're all pretty on. I, you know, I, I take them as being honest songs in the hot mess of the album. Yeah. <laughs> and like for example, I can't like discotheque while it's a good single and everything. I kind of I don't really want to listen to dis- discotheque. You know? Mm. Oh, I would. What do you know what I mean? Like you know when you're like you know what I'd like right now is a, a bit of disco, ham type. cheese toasty and a bit of disco. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not gonna. I, I just can't see. It. But whereas, um, uh, I like this is the this is the first U two album I bought, and I didn't know what to make of it. I guess. Um, at the time, and I, I, the cover is horrible. It's the worst cover of any. <laughs> Of any album, this shiny thing with this, uh, it's horrible. Mm. And um, yeah, but I think that's it. It's like, this is the last time that you two were trying really hard to be weird, you know? And I, like, whatever happened around, you know, after, you know, Rattling Home, they made two great albums, Zuropa. It's as if they left America and found Europe. That's that's what I was saying. Zupra. Zupra, yeah. I was going, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) That's the cool way of saying it. I'm not cool. (laughs) But, um, yeah, but uh, it's really good. But the the weird thing about this album is this is, well, I think it's weird. This is their ninth album. But Mm. it's, it's their, I think it's, it's, I think it's the eighth or ninth biggest selling one, you know. 
mm. everything before this sold tons, you know, and then this well, happened. I, th- I and think then, then you can you can absolutely see why uh, what happened afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Like this the kind of attempt. After this is one of their it's their biggest since. It yeah, was, it's massive. Like, I cleaned up at the Grammys and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's a pity that I mean it is a uh, they took a risk with this record and I I suppose they took a ri- risk with the song. Songs of Innocence or whatever as well in a way, mm. um, their last one. But yeah, the the devilment often literally like Bono with the horns and all that kind of stuff, and mm. the the real um, just very kind of European uh, outlook. Mm. Yeah, disappeared from from you two. I think after this. Yeah, album. they spent a few years in America in love with America, and then they came back to Europe and fell in love with Berlin, yeah. and then I don't know what happened. It's like they went home. They They just went home. But they were on a mad trajectory (laughs) because you had um, Acting Baby, which was, you know, obviously a reaction to um, the kind of slope that went all the way up from Unforgettable Fire, then up again, more American to um, uh, Joshua Tree, then more American again to um, Matlin Home. And then suddenly they just cut it all down and started again. And they went Mm -hmm. in this kind of, I'll say it again, it's kind of a a slope from um, Acting Baby to. Zupra, Zupra, Zupra. <laughs> <laughs> and then again up, you know, a bit odder uh, to to pop, and then they they went and they did passengers, and passengers was so weird that they you and they know, bought the garage and they hung a trabant upside down on it. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you know what I mean. And then this and then, album was recorded in Dublin, though, as well, like all of like so, most of their others, you know. Mm. And as well, apparently it wasn't. It was. It was. They were still recording it until the last couple of days. They booked a st- always tour. a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> always a good sign. And before that, they had to delay because. Um, I read, I read this. One of the reasons there's so much kind of um, electronic stuff in is because Larry Mullen was really, his back was really badly injured and he couldn't be there for the first three months. But he was really angry at the band for starting without him. But Edge was like, we're going for it. And then he was like, hey, you know, you can't go for it. So um, he tried to, he tried, he left his rehab early to get back into it. And then he did himself a, a damage. And then he was out <laughs> for another, so they had to stop the whole thing. So it's really interesting because what happened was Howie B was making the, uh, you know, doing the, the, I don't know. The beats. Yeah, it was just right. So who was it? It was Howie B and Flood and Osborne, Steve Osborne, was it? Uh, I think, well, no, I know the first two. And there was another guy and he left um, halfway through and then wasn't credited on the album and there was some stuff about that or whatever. I, right. I mean, this is just like stuff, like this is like basic stuff. This is like Wikipedia stuff just yeah. to get myself some background. But, uh, you know... Um, it's interesting. It's probably, it's the first record that they don't have Brian Eno on for quite some time. And then did they go back to Eno for all the... Eno, can- did Eno do Rattle and Home? No, he didn't. No. I don't think so. I think he did, um, he did Octum Baby. He yeah, he did, yeah. Zeropa, apparently. <laughs> uh, and Zeropa. obviously uh, Joshua Tree and The Unforgettable Fire, but I don't think... Uh, of the studio albums, I don't think... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I think it's a brave move to move away from the, mm-hmm. the, the producer you've worked with for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, who's produced yeah. million-selling albums. And I think all of that stuff, for a band the size of you two, has to be massively commended. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think album wise, I think you could take off three or four songs that mm. th- like the Playboy Mansion and Miami and stuff like that, mm. like winking at the camera while you're kind of doing finger guns and stuff like that <laughs> that Bono is doing. I, 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 any of that stuff I'm not into, and the overly clawing stuff not into. But the best mm. stuff here, I think, is is some of their best stuff. Re- really, mm. like. But, like for me, like the question is, are, are there many bands who would be number one now? Your, you know, rock bands, I'd say, of, of the moment that would take that risk, that would do that, that would be self-effacing, that would be self-knowing. Yeah. Well, this, there's, there's, there's a couple of types of risk though here, mm. uh, and I think one of them is it's their ninth album. Mm. 
you can do it on your ninth album, whereas mm. you mightn't do it on your second. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm. Like, well, it's also a concept album, kind of, you know, in a way. Like, mm. it's creating a specific aesthetic. It's very much inventing uh, a sound for them. Obviously, not inventing a sound, but like going, okay, we, you know, threw all the ideas in the hat and Edge picked. Uh, it's going to be a dirty pop kind of you know, loads of program drums and everything in it. So that's what we're going to do, you know. Mm. And, and as you said, that's commendable. Like, they went and did yeah. that. I mean, could you see The National doing mm. that? Or, no. you know, like, it's... it's They, they did it and uh, with, you know, mixed results. But, I, I mean, I I wouldn't really go back and listen to pop, to be honest. I'd always return to, to U2's more kind of majestic and emotional crying songs. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, just... Uh, the question is is whether or not it's a is, is it a, is it a, is it a great album? I think yeah, for me, like I think in, in say sen- yes. I say yes in the sense of like I, maybe it's just a, a temperament on my part, but I, I don't like pristine and I don't like boring and I don't like by the numbers. And for me, this record kind of ticks a lot, a lot of those boxes. It's not the greatest album of all time. It's it's certainly not. And I don't think, as you say, I don't even think it's in probably the top three or four of their best albums or anything like that. But I think for me sometimes it goes beyond what's actually on the record and what people are trying to do and that's what interests me great all right well moving on um our last album of this episode is uh, horse of a different color by the revenants Marry Money by The Revenants. Aaron. Uh, hello. Uh, yes, so um, <laughs> my album was The Revenants, Horse of a Different Colour. Uh, first album by this band, um, uh, but actually not the first album, by uh, the singer Stephen Ryan, who used to be in Stars of Heaven, and I think went on to be in the Dinah brand. Um, it is it is a very American-sounding album. It is very... Uh, there's a lot of R.E.M. in there. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a funny mix because it kind of sounds like it's very. There's a lot of, it's a lot, a lot of focus put on the vocals and the lyrics, and a lot of focus put put on the guitar. But uh, the rest of it is quite functional. It's quite professional. It's it sounds good. But the bass and drums, it's it's not a super inventive album. It's kind of, uh, I don't mean that in a negative negative way. It is that's just not what it does. It is just about the songs and the lyrics and the feelings that come from that. Um, and also a couple of songs. Uh, uh, Eileen from the Wood Bees sings. So it's kind of, it sounds like an album that was constructed over a couple of years. It was recorded on an eight track. Um, so I can imagine that it took a long time to do. And it kind of sounds a little bit like that. But when it's good, it's it's really strong. There's a couple of tracks um, Marry Money, track three, Ted's Tune, I think it's mm-hmm. called. And a song called um, Capricalia. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Capricalia, I Capricalia. think. Zuropa. Zuropa. Zupra. But. Yeah, so like when it's when it's good, it's really good, and it's really kind of I think it's kind of atmospheric, and it really makes you feel. There's a picture. The picture of the cover is like a horse in a field, like kind of abandoned or something. And there's something about that which kind of it really works for it. It, it does feel like it was written in a, you know, in a in a shed in, in the middle of a field, you know, in the poor south of America or something. It's it's funny the way that is, but um, 
I, I kind of I really liked it initially, and as it went on, I didn't feel it had the depth to keep me sort of you know it didn't it didn't unfurl into this beautiful album I suppose but um but I think it's a strong album and um, the first track uh, let's get falling down is uh, uh, my least favorite track it's and it kind of it annoys me <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I had to kind of listen to that less as it went on but um yeah I think uh, it's really good and as I said it, there's a lot of really really nice guitar on it and it's nearly the star of the album for me um um the second last track I can't remember what the name of it is now, but um, it basically it's got this gorgeous guitar and it's got a really really gorgeous feel to it. But it the lyrics are just a repeated line. Um, I can't remember what the line is, but um, it just I don't know. It, it, it's a funny album. I'm interested to see, see what everyone else says. But one thing, Jeff Travis, um, who was with Rough, Rough Trade, who signed Stars of Heaven and then I think signed The Revenants later, um, he said that he was it was his one regret that Stephen Ryan wasn't wasn't massive you know mm. um and dave fanning wrote this piece that he said that he has seen um you know hundreds of thousands of bands you know 50 a year for the last whatever how old is dave fanning 50 95 <laughs> 50 years uh, and he said that when they did the roller coaster tour in the late 90s they did this roller coaster tour um around ireland where he played colleges i suppose and um they played i think they played 11 dates and the best band at every date was The Revenants, but they were always first on because they had to leave um, and get back to Dublin so they could get up for their day jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like, this, this just, that is just so much of being in a band, you know, mm-hmm. in that. It just said so much, you know? And I don't know, there's something sort of uh, a bit melancholic about it as well. It's, you know, about that that was what they were doing. When we were talking with Sack, I was, I was saying how that was you know, a kind of a confident record. Yeah. Uh, and there's something, there's a kind of a confident record, but in a different way in this. It's just, is. it's kind of like, this is what we're doing, you know, and it doesn't seem to be, it, it's not influenced by anybody else. I think it's probably the most different out of all these ones that, that are here. You know, it's not super produced. It really needs a lot of backing vocals at times. You know, I feel like there could have been much more playing of it as a band and maybe it was written, you know, pieced together. Um, but yeah, it's a funny one. Uh, uh, I think it's a strong album. I think it could have been a lot stronger. Um, and that's just that's just what I think. Yeah. It's interesting, like you were saying, like there could be you know, more backing vocals and things like that. It's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a rather charming record. I yeah, think. I think. I think part too. of the charm is in how kind of, you know, makeshift it is, mm-hmm. kind of patchwork. And I think there's a lot of, as you say, I think there's, there's one band that came to mind, uh, Lemonheads, when I was listening to Yeah, them. actually, okay. that's a fair, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, there, there's that kind of jangle to yeah. it, that early 90s kind of feel. So I, th- I think, like, and I wasn't aware of, you know, the background to it before uh, Kieran was kind of talking about it there. So it makes sense in a way that it is that charming. And, it, and it's also quite impressive, considering, you know what I mean? And, and I think it's, yeah, it was a band that, again, just at the time would have, passed me by completely I wasn't aware of them but it was a record listening to it for this that I was kind of pleased I did because mm. you know I think it is a record and you you know you rarely try to say anything like this because I don't think anything is deserving of anything but it is a record that you feel like should be listened to more or at least a band that should be kind of talked about more Revisited perhaps yeah. Revisited <laughs> I, I, I used to go and see the Stars of Heaven and I went I did see the Revenants a few times um, how, how far before before stars of heaven I feel like the because I mean I was I saw the stars of heaven a couple of times when I was barely old enough to go to gigs 
and I saw the revenants, I was probably about 18. So, I mean, I think it was a fairly, I don't know, I should have probably looked up the history more than, I don't know how much you'd find. I and mean, did you find information on it? I found it very hard to yeah. find. Like the, when you type in the revenants. You're going to get the film you and you're going to get yeah, all kinds of stuff. I yeah, mean, you probably you know, find more on Star of the There's Heaven. a million articles about the film, the revenants, and yeah. there's, you know, six yeah. articles about the band. Um, you mentioned, you said the word melancholic. To me, that's a quality in Stephen Ryan's voice that has always got me like every time and I used to go and see him and there's something that gets me right in the craw and I can't explain it and I can't pin it down and it's not a beautiful voice it's not really no, I, you know no, um, but something voice. about that achy kind of break it breaks at the top and it's sort of it's sort of thin and reedy but there's a quality to that that I think might be part of the charm and I think is p- maybe part of the kind of emotional relationship that uh, people at the time and subsequently have with a memory of the stars of heaven and the revenants. So, and Stephen, Stephen Ryan have seemed to disappear um, off the face of the earth pretty much after the revenants, which to my, in my memory, they seemed like a fairly short-lived band. I think they released this album and I don't know if there was yeah, a whole lot of it. Some, somewhere No How, I think. Okay. Or some, I'm not exactly sure. And then they seemed to just disappear. And he popped back up again with um, Eileen. You mentioned Eileen. Mm. Um, Eileen Gogan. She's in the band The Drays with him and uh, Connor uh, Brady. <laughs> Connor Brady, thank you. <laughs> I know Connor so well. And a few, you know, a, a cast of musicians who are really great. And I was, I was quite surprised to see him um, resurface and very pleased, you know. And the funny thing is that the Drays don't sound terribly dissimilar to the Revenants. It's from what I've heard of it. It's there seems to be that choice or that. Um, production aesthetic if you want to call it that that's quite raw and unproduced seems to be a choice I think do you think it's weird that Steve Ryan disappeared for ages and then came back considering the meaning of the revenant oh my god (laughs) (laughs) the most elaborate marketing scheme of all time (laughs) I think you're on to something (laughs) there was a thing Jeff Travis said about um you mentioned about Sack having an, a, a quality live that doesn't translate or doesn't necessarily translate. Yeah, well, it wouldn't necessarily well, be as immediate on that yeah. on recording. The, anyway. He was saying that Jeff Travis and the star, he was Jeff Travis from um, the, in the thing I read. He said that the stars of heaven, the only the only reason they weren't massive is because they weren't they weren't as good live as they should have been. Possibly, but that's interesting mm-hmm. though as well because that thing of them being live I mean, we're talking about pop there and pop honestly like the pop mart tour that you know they came out of the, le- the lemon and all that yeah, yeah. yeah. like Park that's Park. lemon on a toothpick wasn't it yeah like when they go back to like when they do sort of um, it did get a, a really final the year kind of yeah. yeah when they do that kind of stuff about that year like pop you know, around the world pop is going to be in that you know mm, like sure. like in the cores I'm sure there's you know their live performances and how they looked and how their videos were probably added enormously to how much the records sold and all that kind of stuff, you know. And as we're talking about the look of how David Holmes' cinematic music mm-hmm. you know, presents itself. And it, like it's funny then, I wonder, did that, was that one of the reasons that it affected, say, Sack? You know, how much did it affect The Revenants, it's you know? It's possible. I mean, I, I think... I think there was the beginning of the sea change and I think you can hear it in pop and I think you can hear it in, in David Holmes and you can and some of the other records that you mentioned um, at the start of the show from that time there were some really seminal ones there and that I listened to um, a lot at the time and were huge like Homogenic by Björk so I think 
I wouldn't say the guitar was starting to to die off, but um, it may have been. It, no, no. I think it was because it was, well, I think you're right, though. I think it it was depleting because yeah, there was this. The guitar was having less currency. Yeah, as a sort of the main channel of yeah, music. Yeah, well, and just electronic music was more interesting. That was where the yeah. innovations were being made, and the dance culture began to take off too. And it was never something that I was part of, but you know, um, obviously, I was very aware of it at the time, and that had a huge influence, even outside of um, the artists that were part of the scene. You know, so you had. Um, I suppose you had some stuff that sort of seeped out from it and then it was his own culture that didn't, I mean, it had its own chart that I would have been, you know, not necessarily clued into. Mm. But then you had stuff like Born Slippy. I don't know what year that was, but, yeah. you know, it, you're co- you're also it, it started to change around then. Plus you're about two years from Eminem's first single, I guess, as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, the massive mainstreaming and commercialization of hip hop, which, Absolutely. you know, that became youth culture. So, yeah. Walking around with a guitar when everyone's, you know, mm-hmm. you'd only ha- you have it to like maybe learn to play Stan. Yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> the funny thing is that it seemed, you know, it's it's really only kind of come back into vogue, if you like, with in it's it's almost as if it's come back in the in in the front door through pop. Mm. With yeah. your Ed Sheeran's and mm, your, you yeah. know, it's almost okay again. Yeah. The funny thing about to be Ed a girl does, or a boy with a guitar. He does five hundred different sounds with his, you know, guitar. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. though. Yeah, like it's, totally. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Like you were saying, the Starter Show, the Be Here Now was released this year, and that absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, was like overdosing guitars. I think it's a Which terrible. One? Yeah, Be Here Now. Yeah, yeah, that, that killed. Um, yeah. British one of the most five star reviews of the time. Yeah, got so terrible. So many five star reviews because everyone wanted to give them amazing reviews. So mm. they would get the interview. <laughs> yeah. so big. I think part, everyone wanted it to be as big as we, everyone thought. You know, wasn't there such a big kind of thing around it? It was. I remember watching MTV uh, when they did a live. Um, th- there was like l- going live with the first video, which mm. was in the. You know, do you know what I mean? Oh, I think. it's the helicopter. It was a helicopter yes, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they played the video. Uh, it was that lad, the MTV presenter, who kind of like a cheesy grin and quite long hair. He infamously interviewed Pete Doherty, uh, queuing for Be Here Now, um, as a like a vox pop. And Pete Doherty was just there as a punter, and he's just like, I've always thought that you know, Noel is but and said something like you know, smart about Russian novelists or something. And and basically, <laughs> they did uh, the yeah they went you know this was this live MTV news with the, you know the do you know what I mean video mm-hmm. and they played it two or three times in a row and I was a big Oasis fan, uh, kind of a closet Oasis fan and like I remember watching the the, uh, the video and the song going this is terrible yeah. <laughs> you know even like as a fourteen year old or whatever and I think that record really did a lot of damage mm. uh, to the legitimacy of guitar music at that time. Mm. Even that video, yeah. I think, takes forever to start. To, yeah, to yeah. actually get to the song. <laughs> you, know, you can see how bloated everything had gotten. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like cocaine. Sounds yeah. like lines Well, I frankly think if Oasis yeah. were left with the mantle of keeping guitar music going, I'm not surprised it died. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's how I feel about that, know, that band. Is, it's interesting to see, you know, obviously the Oasis Blur thing was either that big thing at the time, but of the, the Oh, Blur was Blur, yeah. Blur, 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 was also released this year, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, which is uh, a brilliant album. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's a guitar At the same time, album. though, like Britpop sort of. and all that kind of stuff was fizzling out, mm. you know? Mm. 94, 95 was Britpop. Yeah, but like when was... 
common people out. Mm. That's really the pinnacle of it. Really. Yeah. So you know, so that it, everything was kind of starting to mm. to kind of dissipate, and mm. I think you know. But I don't don't hear a lot of Britpop, you know. Although saying that, there's a there's a quite a bit of trip hoppy kind of tinting out, <laughs> you know, the fingers of the yeah. long spindly fingers of tinting out <laughs> reaches into every corner. Um, you tinting out. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like... Here is where the story ends. <laughs> <laughs> like, the chorus, of, obviously, uh, it's like, it's it's just sounds so out of place in that album. David Holmes, it sounds at home in that album. Mm. But in pop, it sounds like they're trying to find, make it, make it, you know, to try yeah. and make it work, you know? Mm. But, you know, Sack and Butterfly and and, uh, and the Revenants don't have too much trip hop and maybe that was no. where they went. It yeah. possibly is. <laughs> Uh, so let's get everybody's uh, recommendations and we'll start with the little digital Dave. Ah, Pop, what a strange, curious beast you are. For about 16 minutes you're looking to challenge the more showy aspects of Nine Inch Nails and Depeche Mode with pointed industrial swagger, and then you're looking to the heavens and holding back tears like a diamond dozen TV evangelist, practically grasping at the listener's heartstrings as you squeeze, squeeze, and then squeeze that little bit more. Honestly, there's a case you made here for if God will send his angels at the single most cloying song in the entire YouTube catalogue, and it's not like there's a wholesale lack of contenders for that particular crown. Oh, pop, what whiplash you provoke. Seriously, what is this album? I'll tell you what it is. It's the last interesting U2 album, unless the future throws up anything of a particular intriguing note, and I'm really not sure that it will. That's not to say that interesting necessarily translates to great, however, for pop is utterly all over the shop. It pretty much achieves the noble feather tag before all is said and done, and sadly, it's more interesting parts come early doors. Look, I'll fight for discotheque until my dying day, but do you feel loved in MoFo or Worthy Brothers here, all of which feel like the hangover from U2's involvement with the Batman Forever and Mission Impossible soundtracks, and that, my friends, is no bad thing at all. You can feel the blueprint here for songs like Elevation, but that's a poor relative by comparison. What a shame, though, that this experimentation with samples, programming, and odd structures, well, odd for you too at least, wouldn't just pave the way for safety and blandness and all that you can't leave behind in 2000, but would collapse under its own excess after just a few songs. I've said it before and I'll say it once again. You two are wildly overhated. They've written some truly incredible songs, but they're also capable of being extremely fun. Or at least, they were. If their idea of fun now is Vertigo and the Miracle of Joey Ramone, well, that's just confirmation that we're not getting another Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me ever again, and that's a genuine shame. Finally, is Staring at the Sun a good song? I can never really tell. Uh, okay, great. Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Dave there. Um, uh, Kieran, which album would you recommend? Oh, I am so torn. Um, I don't think that um, in this list there is an album that stands head over heels over everything um, but I think that there are a couple of albums that I, I think people should listen to so um, I find it very hard <laughs> to choose from but um, I'm going to suggest that personally um, maybe you can confidence, edit this the confidence on show here <laughs> well it's just hard because I can, okay, it's not decisive <laughs> it's not decisive um, my head is saying um, David Holmes and Pop but my heart is sort of saying Revenance and Sack because you're looking at different things. You know, do you know what I mean? It's different things that you're telling people to go back to, but I think that the most satisfying album is probably um, David Holmes. So I'm going to say David Holmes. Okay. Uh, Stephen? I'm going to go with U2 uh, Zupra. I'm going to go U2 Pop for all the things I manically shouted at you for (laughs) five minutes. Excellent. That's fair. Una? (laughs) I'm going to go with David Holmes for innovation and an Irish album that's truly global. Okay. 
<laughs> and Carol? Well, it's funny enough, I think Karen kind of said, actually both Karen and Una have kind of summed up my feelings after the end of everything because I didn't give due time to David Holmes because I kind of felt I got guided towards other things that I wanted to cover. And actually, I think I think it probably does deserve it. It's just not to say that the others are not thoroughly deserving. Yeah. I think it kind of tops for that for the reasons that have been given already. Okay, so, so I mean we're no, at. I, I didn't expect that at all. There you go. So yeah. we're at three for David. Such a good case for Luna. <laughs> three for David Holmes and two for you two. Is it? Would it be fair to give both of them to say that these are? No, the two I, think, I, think I think that would be unfair okay. because, because David Holmes got he three won. and you two got <laughs> yeah. two. And I also <laughs> think that as much as we can be kind of affectionate with pop now, it is a mess. Mm. Do you know? And and like. It is flawed beyond that kind of barrier of where it's flawed and the flaws make it even better. The flaws in pop are n- don't necessarily make it better. Like it is kind of crappy and kind of <laughs> deadly. But I think in terms of, you know, it, the thing about pop is it's badly executed. Mm. And I don't think you can award it something, you know. I think we can all like it, like a little weird little kitten <laughs> that comes out wrong or whatever. But not you're, you're like, I wouldn't like a weird kitten. little kitten. <laughs> but ultimately, let's face it, guys. That kitten's called Satan. You know what I mean, though, right? Where's like, recorded day, but I need him. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. yeah. So, so our gold album is... Our uh, gold album is David Holmes. Let's yeah. Get Killed. And then U2 Pop can be a silver album with a little bit of gold plating on it. It can have like, <laughs> yeah, a little tiny Golden bit. glitter or something like glitter. that. Glitter. Yeah. It has some glitter on it. Okay, so did Luna. not get my silver boat. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we'll play it with a little bit of David Holmes.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.